Welcome to the Baila Room podcast. And now we have a, a, a very special guest, a good friend of mine. Uh, he is in the forefront right now of uh, COVID-19. Uh, usually I start the podcast with like a, a caveat saying that we are no experts. Whatever we say and we talk about COVID uh, to take with a grain of salt and defer to uh, uh, experts. And uh, I'm not going to say that today. Because we got somebody that knows a little <laughs> a little more than myself. So um, uh, Martin Famzim is a physician with 20 years of practice in emergency medicine. He focuses now on clinical communication and the science of well-being and longevity. He's also a fitness freak, passionate home cook, and lover of life. <laughs> so, <laughs> so first things first, uh, I want to roll back time a little bit because I wanted to touch base with you. I wanted to do this podcast first uh, when I uh, uh, invited you for the podcast the first time about mm -hmm. six months ago. And I, I know you were quite busy. I wanted to know about your process of stopping medicine and concentrating on other things. I know you, you were very active for 20 years and then your mindset changed and just like give us a little bit of your thoughts on on leaving medicine or leaving the you know practice of emergency medicine well the story starts uh before that first uh, i survived uh, a separation and a divorce and you know uh, in the decade preceding that unfortunate event my life was pretty typical and uh, predictable and then suddenly It's like the castle of uh, cards just blew. And uh, I, I, it was a shock initially, then I recovered. And um, I, I saw life then as an open book with blank pages that I could start over. And uh, I understood at that moment that uh, change was good and I should never be afraid of it. So a few years later, two years later, I started having doubts about my practice as an emergency physician. You know, you're comfortable with what you're doing. You're good at what you're doing. Um, but uh, satisfaction is not the same and the passion um, changes. And you start focusing more on the problems. And I saw, uh, when I started medicine, I hoped that uh, emergency medicine would uh, improve and the, condition, the working condition would improve And um, when I looked at the horizon, I, I didn't see much improvement. And after 18 years, there was not much change in our work. People were still waiting. There was still um, a disconnect between expectations of care and uh, resources available to give good care. So uh, as I wasn't, I was looking at the horizon, I wasn't seeing any change. And there was like, resources were not increasing and expectations were increasing and the, the gap between those became uh, more difficult to to manage so i just gave myself the permission to do something else and um, when you've been doing so, uh, something for 18 years like this it's kind of a uh, there's kind of a risk you know you you have to re re uh, redefine yourself feels like jumping out of a plane Without mm. a parachute, and um, it takes uh, some courage, but I felt that uh, it wasn't that risky because uh, I gave myself the permission to make a mistake. And I said, you know what? If 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 it's a failure, I'll just go back to what I was doing. But at least I will have tried it. So I said, you know what? I just quit. 
and uh, it's the best thing I did. <laughs> you don't you don't hear about uh, a lot of doctors quitting. Like that's not something very common. No, we are trained to be to never quit. Mm. Um, but uh, I think it's interesting to to just say no and try other things. It opens yeah. up our life. What is on a day to day? What do you think uh, was lacking? Uh, you said there was a lot of expectation, but not a lot of resources. What what would you like to see on a day to day basis? Well, you want to be able to treat people um, with uh, how can I say this? You want to be able to treat people without them having to wait twelve hours to see you. Mm. And um, yeah, that, that's basically it. That, that's the most difficult part of it is you know people waiting so long to see us and you know there's just not that many of us so um when there's not enough doctors and there's a hundred patients coming in the emergency you you they just have to wait until it's their turn and and that's that's it's difficult because you know you know that people are suffering and waiting to see you but you can't work too fast because if you work too fast you expose yourself to making mistakes so there's always a fine balance between uh, efficiency and speed and quality. Mm. Do you think that the problem is solvable if you raise the investment or there's other issues? It's a complex question. Um, there's m multiple level of intervention. Um, it's, it, I don't think it's just a question of resource. It's a, it's a, you know, there's, we all have responsibilities from, from, from ourselves you know, eating well, sleeping well, you know, not smoking to, uh, you know, local resources to governmental decisions. So there's no one person who's responsible for these problems. And um, I thought uh, that, you know, things could change. And, you know, I didn't notice that much change. Mm. Maybe the pandemic will change a lot of stuff. And it, it'll be like a uh, Kickstarter to to help you know clean up our our healthcare or realize that healthcare is important. Mm. Does it make sense? It does make sense. Now, if we come back to the present time, time traveling, yeah. um, <laughs> we are at the beginning of the fourth week of uh, lockdown in Quebec in Gatineau. Correct me if I'm wrong. Mm -hmm. And uh, I read on your Facebook profile that you were going back to medicine and more specifically to uh, fight COVID. Can you yep. tell me the thought process of doing that? And I'm asking you because I'm a wuss. I, I, okay. I have to admit it. Like, I'm, I don't know if whatever you're doing right now, if I would have it in my bones to do, I'll be really honest. And I appreciate and can admire what you do from a standpoint from where I'm trying to remain safe and you're going towards, let's say, danger. And I remember in your post, you were explaining the risks to your son with a very, uh, really nice image of picking up 
uh, a pile of, of sticks and one of the sticks, you had an X, a black X on it and your the, the son had to pick up the sticks until, you know, the danger can happen and, and you can see the danger is just one stick in a pile of a hundred, which was a nice way to, to, to put it, but there's still danger. Now, what came to you? What realization came to you? What from, I don't want to do medicine, that's it, that's all, to let's do a complete turnaround? Well, I, uh, I was on a sabbatical from clinical medicine since uh, last November. Um, I had had so many interesting job offers and I was involved in so many things that I felt that I could now, you know, really do something else. And uh, when the pandemic uh, arrived, I had this uh, reflection you know, what am I going to do? Am I going to uh, hide in fear and not do anything because I can? Because one, I was on a sabbatical and two, I had no obligations to work. Or am I going to get out there? And uh, you know what? I wrote uh, this message to my girlfriend um, this morning because she told me that through this process of being isolated, she, she has changed a lot. And I told her the same thing. The same thing happened for me. And the phrase that I, I sent her was, you don't, you don't know, um, how did I say it? Let me remember, okay? You don't know what you stand for until you really stand for it. So, you know, I, there's a lot of talk, you know, people on Facebook and, and in life, you know, are talking about, you know, being good people, uh, values of you know equality, collaboration, community, um, all that, and it means nothing if it doesn't lead to action. You know, so I was the one of these guys, the person who was talking, doing a lot of talking, and uh, now you know now is the time to to act. You know, you can talk a lot about courage, but when the time comes to be courageous, you know. Are you gonna? Are you gonna be courageous? So um, there is a war. There was a war. The war is here. You know, starting slowly, but still, it's growing fast. And uh, I have the skill to be um, a soldier on the front. You know, uh, being a doctor. You know, helping people who are sick. And uh, there are some values that I want to transmit to my son. Okay, and uh, hiding in fear is not one of them. Okay, being there to do what I do best uh, for uh, other people is uh, is important for me, and I think that um, the benefit I my son will get from from taking that risk is greater than the risk itself. So that's why I decided to. To go and I did two days of work at the coronavirus clinic last week, and now uh, I'm in isolation, waiting to see if I'm going to uh, start coughing uh, in the next few days. And um, if I start coughing, well, I'll deal with it. And uh, I can. Uh, I'm grateful for for everything that has brought me here, and um, we'll see what happens. The odds of something bad happening are real, but they're not very high. And I told my son, you know what, if, if I want to have people caring for our family and our friends when they're sick, then I need to be there. 
for other people's family and friends when they're sick. So you know, you, you I have to 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 give uh, what I my my skills to society because that's you know in periods of stress we need to have to think not just about ourselves but about uh, others too. So that's my main uh, argument for uh, convincing me, uh, kicking my myself in the butt to face these fears because uh, you know uh, when I went to work uh, last uh, Thursday. Uh, I was scared, really scared. <laughs> mm. I believe you. Does that answer your question? It does. When you went for the first day, um, first, what, what, what's your measures at home? Did you, your, your son is not with you, I guess, right? No. Okay. My son's not with me. We have, uh, I have him every other week. Okay. So uh, I went... Um, to work on uh, at the COVID clinic on uh, Thursday and Friday, and uh, I won't see him uh, until next week. Okay. So there's a period of of observation. Um, I'm pretty lucky because we're uh, you know we're separated, and Liam can can uh, stay at his mom's. Most of my friends who are not separated, they go back to their homes, mm. and um, for them, you know, working is uh, brings a much higher risk their families you know it's like two things right the the risk that you're willing to carry for yourself and then there's the risk of infecting other family members so let's say if i am like i would say well somebody would ask me a favor like i'll go or or like i i would be i'm more concerned now about my own behavior because i have three other people next to me if i was living alone i, I might consider i don't know like uh, doing stuff that is uh i, I wouldn't say become a doctor because that's not gonna happen <laughs> you can start sewing homemade masks something well whatever <laughs> like the risk is different if you like you said if you're alone if, if you're a, a whole family and you're like i'm trying to to, to respect the, the government measures 100 and i am so so upset to see other people in my community acting as if there's no virus, like the kids are playing, there's, there's groups of people in my street. And it bothers me for two reasons. The first reason is I'm doing a sacrifice. I am staying home. And really, like I'm staying home. I'm not going out, like at all. Like this is it. We're, go we're home. And, and also, I have friends like you. I have friends that are uh, uh, nurses that go out and they're scared and they talk to me and I go where well, for them, they are in the front line. They're sacrificing more than I do. And then I see other people that are in the street as if nothing is happening. And it just drives me insane, Martin, insane. Like uh, to a point where I, uh, let's say if I just take a walk and I come back, I have to stop taking the walk because I'm, I am aggravated and, fr and, and frustrated. And I just go home and I tell my wife, let's go. We go in. I I'm pissed because I don't fear as much COVID as I fear people's behavior. That's what scares me. Like people, like people are saying, well, now the government, uh, they're taking away our rights. Because what rights? Just listen to what they're saying. Just say, listen. Nobody's going to intervene. No police is going to uh, intervene if you just stay home and, and just do whatever is necessary. So that's what I don't understand is if we are a community, why is it so hard? 
to follow just clear directions that, by the way, in Quebec are plowed into our heads. We're a very good communication system and the government is doing an amazing job. It's not like uh, other countries where uh, one day it's something, the other day is nothing. We, it's very clear. You know, the directions are very clear with images, you know, and graphics that people can understand. Like even if you have no education, you just look at it and goes, yeah, two meters. I don't know what you're feeling about the whole scenario. Um, I think people are uh, reacting emotionally and not rationally. And it's because they, they are, you know, experimenting a fear that uh, they've never ex experienced before. So, you know, when people react emotionally, uh, anything can happen. This period of high stress will bring the best out of people and it will bring uh, out the worst. You know, uh, I think in the Sherbrooke area, there's a guy who ran over uh, I heard about it. Uh, a, a clerk at Walmart just because he couldn't get in. And, you know, that's, that's totally crazy. Um, but that's somebody, you know, reacting emotionally. He, you know, you don't think when you do such thing. But it's the same thing, I think. Well, and, well, don't, um, you think don't you think that, that, that if it was emotional and, and there was a lot of fear, that that would drive people to stay home? Most of most people, it will. Um, there are always outliers and people who don't listen. You know, I work in the complaint business and I, uh, I manage complaint offices. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I see people reacting emotionally all the time. And, um, you know, you don't... The, 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 the best thing you can do is give people good information and uh, be a good example and uh, hope for the best. Um, we're pretty lucky to have a government that uh, is in Quebec, especially that is well organized, strong. We have a strong, positive leadership. Uh, it's very different from what what the the Americans have, where you know their 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 president is a person who reacts emotionally to, to anything. So um, I think we're uh, we should be grateful that we're living in uh, in Quebec. Uh, for what happens to my neighbors, um, I see the same things that you see, and uh, I have no control over this. Uh, the only thing I can control is is my own reactions, and I try not to to, to become too. Uh, I, I don't have enough mental bandwidth to become frustrated for the actions of others. You know, I concentrate on on myself. But don't, you think, but don't you yeah. think that in this sense, like I follow you 100%, but it, just one, one part that bothers me. Yeah. Let's say if you see actions of people that are, let's call them irrational, emotional, or, or if you judge them, you go, this is, this, these are idiots. They don't know what they're doing. That's one thing. Because you're thinking if, if you go next to, let's say, a ledge, and there's like a 50-foot drop. And he goes, what are you doing there? And the guy just tells you off. You're just saying, ah, well, he's going to fall. He's going to break his neck. It's his business. And you just walk away. In this case, I feel that people's behavior put my own family in danger. For example, I'm walking and a jogger, like somebody just taking a jog. My, I see my daughter in front of me. And the guy just whizzed by her. I swear to God, two inches from her, but while she was turning, I, the, the 
rage that came about. By the way, I'm very emotional. Just to let you know, you probably know that. That's that, that's uh, the artistic. <laughs> so so the rage that went inside me, I could have strangled the guy. Like literally, if he would have turned around, if I had time to say something while he left, I was to the point of like, listen, buddy, two meters is two meters. So if he's doing an idiotic behavior and he's putting himself in danger, that's one thing. But now behavior of people are influencing my own uh, safety. So then it's my bit, it becomes like almost my business. So what can I choose to do? Stay home, not even taking walks. That's not reasonable. We're going to go crazy. We need to move. So just move, go in our backyard that we can control, but we still want to take that little walk. So yes, the solution would be not to go out. You know what? I intervene also like um, two weeks ago, um, a neighbor of ours wanted to organize a, a, uh, a gathering and uh, share meals uh, <laughs> and distribute uh, tir d'érable. How do you say tir d'érable in uh, English? That would be uh, uh, maple. What's it uh, Ma- maple. I don't know, like on, they on, anyway. on, on, on snow for those who don't know what it is. Yeah, like yeah. Maple, he wanted to, to to distribute tir d'érable uh, and share meals, and uh, that that was too that was too far, taking it too far. And uh, I, I emailed it. I answered everyone. Just stay the fuck home. <laughs> and I sent him uh, a, a, a video of what was going on in Italy. You know, uh, uh, army trucks. Uh, you know, delivering dead bodies. And I'm like, just stay the fuck home. And they did. My good. Good. The Good event intervention. was not organized. But okay, you know, but, but. you know, you know, Martin, you were ahead of the curve. You know, I, I thought, yeah. I think I was ahead of the curve in, in the, my business surroundings. When I was talking to people, people, I felt at some point they didn't want to talk to me. And at some, I kind of gauged what I was saying because I didn't want to demoralize people. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, okay, well, he's going to realize by himself at some point that he, his store's going to close. And if he's not going to close, somebody's going to close him. It was crazy. I have one, one of my friends that got death threats, like within a day, a day, like he just delayed one day <laughs> and people were threatening. He was bashing him online. I was like, whoa, this is getting solid. But you were ahead of the curve even before, like, when you were talking to people about these things, how did you feel like, what was your take? Because you knew you had information. I know you, you, you read the international news. I know you're, you were taking this seriously. Let's just say about, let's just be conservative and say three, four days before anybody had that thought. Like even like it was nowhere in the news and you were already talking to me about these things. And mm-hmm. what, what was the reaction of people when you were approaching them with these uh, scenarios? Well, they just didn't believe me. Like I started thinking, I started thinking about this in February. Like I, I ordered on Amazon early February, four and ninety nine masks, and I myself thought, "What crazy? I'm just crazy. I'm just going to order them, and I have a month to to send them back anyway. If, if I'm just crazy, I'm just going to send them back." And I said, ah, "I'm just going to order them, just just in case." And I started following the news. And I didn't tell too many people because, you know, people would say I'm crazy. And I started talking a bit more mid-February. And I went on a, 
on a, on a trip with friends and uh, they said, you know, I talked about this for the entire week and uh, they, they were nauseated from me talking about this and, and they were like, Martin is going psychotic, you know? <laughs> and uh, in February, uh, I, I published a post about uh, predicting, you know, I call, it was called a big crash. And I told everyone I'm, I'm getting out of the stock market. And nobody believed me. Like, for me, it was so clear because I've been thinking about this for, for, for weeks and nobody believed me. And I called my financial planner and I told them, and she said, yeah, Martin, just, just people are still buying stuff. Don't worry. And I, I emailed her four times in six days. And I even emailed her, uh, her superior. And uh, telling him my theory, you know, my market's going to crash because people, market, the stock market is an emotional place. And the emotion that's coming is fear. And when people start being fearful of what's going to happen, you know, stock market will crash. Mm. And I told them it was the, it'll be the biggest stock market crash you'll never see because, you know, we have Facebook now. And Facebook is a, like a big uh, magnifying glass for emotional, for collective emotion yeah and uh well you know and you know we talked about it a few weeks ago yeah and uh well crash happened <laughs> so you know and it's the same thing for uh for, for the infections uh you know i've been telling people you know we have to to be careful and uh, i knew it, i i knew that it was inevitable so you know i, I tried to warn people but it, it didn't didn't work but you know, our government reacted as fast as they could, and I'm pretty proud of it. And our healthcare system is 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 uh, organizing itself in a way that is I have never seen before, and I'm really proud of it. Um, but people people will understand when it starts when everybody knows somebody who who will be infected, like you know someone. Yeah. Uh, and now it be- when it becomes personal, yeah, people will listen. But when it's just when it was out of when when it when it was when the when the pandemic was, you know, in other countries, we most people didn't care. Okay, yeah. I cared. Most people didn't care. Now it's in Canada. Okay, many people care, but most people, a lot of people, do not care because it's not personal. And when when you know someone oh, yeah, uh, or a family that becomes that will be hit because everybody every family will have somebody was infected. Yeah. Um, then you know people will understand. The problem is the earlier we understand and we we're careful, the better. You know, maybe fifty percent of people will be infected, and um, I sure plan on uh, making sure that you know I I take as uh, the less risks as possible, except you know when I have to work, um, and uh, you know you you have to plan on being on the lucky. 50%. So if you're careful, you'll be in the lucky 50%. Mm. If you're not, well, so, so what a so what a what a dice roll, huh? 50%. W- when did you get any 50% of anything like in in diseases? Like 50%. It's every second person you see is going to get it. It's crazy. Yeah. In the next year, that's that's what the estimates are. Mm. So um and it's a combination of uh luck, being careful, behavior, you know, what you do to prevent, you know, to, to, to make sure you don't get infected. Mm. And um, on that 50%, you know, a, a certain percentage 
will be very sick and a certain percentage will die. Mm. That's the name of the game. And it's really sad, what's, but what's, unavoidable. What's the, I want to go back into the first day of, uh, of your uh, entry in that hospital. What can you give us a bit your, what did you do during the day? Like, how did it happen? You came in, what was your... Well, first, it's not a hospital. You know, how do you build a clinic? We're not Chinese, okay? We don't build clinics or hospitals in seven days. So we took a community, a youth community center, and uh, we throw in, a, you know, a desk and a computer and a stethoscope and a table, an examining table, and that's your, your clinic, okay? Mm. And... Um, Uh, for the time that we had, you know, people have worked around the clock for you know, 24 hours, seven for, for the week to, to build a clinic. And it was really well, you know, considering, considering the speed and the resources, it was really well organized. And um, I got involved in, in the procedures um, that, uh, you know, how, do, how we do this, how do patients enter you know, do I change mask every time? How do, how do we move around the clinic? So I got involved in this and because I wanted to be as safe as possible. So uh, the first two days I worked were, uh, were kind of quiet. It's like uh, the calm before the storm. I probably saw 20 patients. Um, most of them likely COVID infected. And, uh, I made sure that I stayed safe as much as I could with the equipment that we got. To, so I made sure I minimized my risk. But there is no absolute safety. You know, there's always a calculated risk. So uh, I didn't feel threatened or I didn't feel that I was putting my life in danger. We were, you know, relatively well protected. And mostly our behavior The, the 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 thing we control more is is our behavior how do you know how do we wash hands you know when my nose you know little reflexes you know you scratch your nose how many times per per day you don't realize it until you scratch your nose but you know you know you're infected and you have a glove and there's a there's a visor blocking you <laughs> oh I can't scratch my nose oh god damn what do I do my nose itches <laughs> Yeah, apparently it's something between 40 and 60 times a day. From what I remember, I read it somewhere. Like it's, it's yeah, humongous. touching our face. I mean, I mean, I, 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 I'm not three years old and I don't suck my tongue, tongue but, but I touch my face all the time. For sure. And, and I, realize, I, I realize it now. You know, you're, going, you're, you're thinking. You're, yeah. So. I wanted to know right now that the recommendations are slightly changing about the, the whole population wearing mask versus no mask. Um, I, uh, you pro I probably told you this. Uh, I lived in, in, uh, in Taiwan for a year and a half, and there was a very strong mm -hmm. culture of wearing masks. Very strong. Like you were sick, you wear a mask, and sometimes you just wear a mask if you're coughing, whatever. And that strong culture... Like nobody felt weird seeing other people's with masks, right? Here, I, I feel that mm -hmm. if you put a mask, like people are going to look at you if you had like leprosy. Like, do you think, first, there's two questions. The first one, do you think we should wear masks or no masks if, we, if it is available? And the second one, why do we have this relationship with masks in general? 
Well, first, I'm going to say that uh, you told me you told people I was an expert, but I'm not. I'm just a family doctor. Okay, well, I'm not more. Ex I said more public. Expert, more expert than me. <laughs> not public health policy maker or anything. Um, the they re they recommended it in the states. Um, was it CDC yeah, yes. or uh... yesterday CDC? Yeah. Okay. And then the, well, the Can off, Canadian government are kind of changing their tune a bit. They're saying in some cases it might be a good idea. Yeah. The big thing. The big thing is we have to. Um, before we say something, we have to consider the consequences of what we're recommending. So, you know, if you recommend a measure that you have to first, what's the benefit? Like, what's the effectiveness of this measure? And what's the cost? Okay. Now, you know, in the States, for example, they have Uh, you know, they don't have a coordinated healthcare system. Every every hospital is out for themselves, finding, trying to find equipment and masks and everything. And basically, you, you might have a thousand uh, corporation or or entities fighting for masks. Okay, and now if you say now everybody should wear masks, now you go from a thousand entities fighting for masks hmm. to 300 million okay now you know that's that's the the risk the benefit is you know how is this going to impact the uh, level of transmission in our community so um i don't have all the answers i'm not sure it's interesting um, what taiwan did if though. you were Well, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, they, I just read the timeline, the Taiwan Taiwanese timeline. In December, mm -hmm. end of December, they already sent experts in Wuhan. Then when they came back, they, uh, I think they've started to produce massively masks and the government put a cap on the price of 17 cents. And then they did the okay. same thing for uh, Purell hand sanitizer and they started to distribute them massively throughout the population. And of course, testing and stuff like that. So by the by January they had already measures like January and then it was full throttle in the beginning of February. So there was uh, one of my friends that still lived there. He said, "Well, you should Canadians should take a, take a good look at what Taiwanese did because they they got the disease under control pretty fast." But I think it's also the fact that they acted very quickly compared to yeah. countries that are just like, "Eh, Like, hey, let's let's let it fly and see what happens. Like, what do you think about the Swedish uh, Sweden attitude towards the disease? Well, you know what? We it's better to act now, be safe, and then change your mind. Sweden uh, just decide not to do anything, and and they can't change their mind. You know, we, once once it once the fire starts, you have to let it burn. We 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 decided to try to you know control the fire you know with with what little water we had okay and then if 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 we want if it doesn't work then we say okay well you know let it burn like sweden but sweden just said let's let it burn but they can't they can't go back so we have that option okay and i think uh, i think it's a risky bet um i think we're doing the right thing hmm. but the time will tell about the masks um The I think the main benefit is not you know if, if every everybody wears masks it's not about protecting it's not about protecting ourselves it's about protecting others because first off the um, 
the the contamination the transmission is mostly droplets okay uh, so it's like a fine a fine mist or rain droplets of water they don't it's still unsure that it's aeros it's not like a gas that stays in in suspension it's most likely just droplets so if there's a if everybody wears masks and um, even though you feel that you don't have much symptoms and you're not sure that you have it because a portion of patient will be asymptomatic and a portion of people will shed the virus before becoming symptomatic so if we all get in the habit of wearing masks those who um, are infected will be less likely to transmit it because they'll keep their droplets to them that that's it, it because it's not a having a face cloth like this breathing through a cotton mask won't won't protect you um won't, won't protect you completely but the main benefit is is if you're infected and you have a mask even if it's cotton or something the droplets that you exhale will be uh, lessened by that partial uh, filter mm. okay the cost to society is you know there's a big cost to 36 million uh, people you know starting to wear masks um and there are consequences and i'm not a specialist to say you know what's what's uh, right and what's good and what's wrong do you think we could get get through the stigma of wearing a mask fairly fast? Yeah, when uh, sufficient fear, uh, <laughs> you know, in, in the states, I don't think they'll have uh, that many problems. Like uh, New Yorkers, I don't think they need convincing. You know, when uh, I, I think in New York, every family knows somebody who's sick, and probably everybody now knows somebody who died. And everybody knows somebody in the hospital. So, you know, when the governor of New York says, wear masks, I don't think, you know, people question that. Right now, here, you know, people still can question, your neighbors can still question the validity of these, uh, uh, of these actions. But uh, when your neighbor's grandmother is in the hospital, you know, I don't think you'll see their kids playing together. So... It's sad that we need personal. to get there. It's so sad that just a, a reasonable recommendation doesn't do the trick, that you literally have to see someone die. So we are doing it on an individual basis, and society does it also. For example, we will put measures in after somebody's dead. Like somebody's dead, oh my God, now. But the measures were already recommended years ago. Like in, you take, take any kind of industry, it's like that. You need a couple of deaths to be really motivated, to really feel the pressure. Yeah. Just logic is not enough. Just I mean, plain logic. Listen, we got we got to put seat belts in cars. It's going to save lives. Trust me. No, we can't because da 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 da. So let people die. So that's what what's the message is. It's it's frustrating that you just a couple of experts together. They they advise something. It's common sense. Let's just do it. Why do we need a slap in the face? Somebody like why do we need so much pain to act? I don't get it. Well, the answer touches on my 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 new uh, specialty, which is communications, and I teach doctor to to um, care about what uh, their patient feels, because emotions are the driver of human behavior. Okay, and I'll 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 take a little detour just to help you understand. We tend to see ourselves as rational beings, okay, driven by reason, okay. And the reality is far 
far different. We are chimpanzees driven by emotions and needs. Okay. And uh, most people will question that. will say, well, no, no, I'm reasonable. Yeah, right. Okay. Like in your audience, you know, everybody has tried to become fit, lose weight, or stop smoking. Okay. The information's out there. Everybody knows how to lose weight and stop smoking. Okay. You just stop smoking to lose weight. You just eat less. Get and closer. More. Get, cl get closer. Okay. <laughs> eat less and move more. Just stop smoking. So, you know, what happens? Do people succeed? Like, do people really succeed? There's Something. a very few percentage, yeah. Okay, but, you know, most people who try to stop smoking don't succeed. Well, not on the first time. And the trick is not to start, okay? But, you know, people are emotional beings. They're not rational. If they were rational, if we were like data in Star Trek, your input, command, stop smoking, that's, mm. that's logic. And then command goes to orders and body reacts accordingly. So that would be a rational being, but we're emotional beings. So it doesn't work. I tell you what to do. You don't do it. Okay. I tell you stop eating cookies in the middle of the night. You know, you won't do it because you're, you know, you, you're full of, you're driven by emotions. It's the same thing here. People will be driven, not by information. They will be driven by emotions. So your neighbor's kids will stop playing together when the fear touches or the pain touches their family. Hmm. Um, there are some people who are rational, okay, more rational than most. It's the people that when you talk to them, they listen and they act accordingly. Okay, for you, for example, you say you're an emotional person, but you know, government says stay home. You've seen the information, you've seen the news, and you stay home. So you're more rational than your neighbors. Okay. I think so, as as I, as I just I just have um I just have faith in people being experts in a specific field that I know less about and I have faith in these people like even if people criticize the government I always say the government is people like you and me and there is uh, people that are not well intended in the government for sure but the majority are good people so I have faith in these people so if they say, listen, this is for your own good, I always go, why would they want to do anything else but try to save lives? Because a lot of my friends, they have all these theories about the government, and I don't want to get into it because I don't want to give <laughs> too much, too much uh, conspiracy talk here. But I always tell them, I goes, it's a matter of life and death. And even if you look at it from an economical standpoint, like if you just go at economics, if you think that it costs you something right now as a business, because I'm a business owner, I was directly affected to, like, I don't have any more <laughs> things to do uh, about my business. We're closed. End of story. But if I think for a second that the government's closing me, they're going to put me out of business, if the government hasn't done anything, they're just just said, okay, let's do the Swedish model. It would have been as worse, if not more, for economics for everybody anyways. And so why not mm -hmm. give credit to a move that was done fast, 
And yes, it's painful. Like everybody has a different degree of pain right now and everybody's in a different financial situation. That I agree. And I think why not just give credit to to these government officials? Like, I don't understand why do we have to throw hate all the time at them as if they're responsible for everything we we live in society. That that for me, I don't understand. Like I lived in different countries and I will let anybody know we have an amazing government. It's great to live in Quebec. Regardless of what you think about the government, if you were living in any other country, I'm telling you, like, for example, just Taiwan. Do you think, do you, think you can walk around and criticize the government as well as here? Take Thailand, where, which I spent a couple of months. Do you think you can walk around and talk shit about the king? Do you think you can just do that? Like, yeah, well, I don't like his politics and stuff. People will take you off the streets. Like, that's what they're going to do. People are going to be so uncomfortable with that kind of talk. And here we can yap and yap and yap. I, I really don't understand why there's so much hate. Why there's so much disconnect with our officials. Like if they're, they're doing something behind our back to kill us or something. What is this all about? Where does that come from? Do you have an idea or a theory or something? TV and Facebook. <laughs> Short answer. Yeah, we're, we're we're watching too much TV, and reading too much Facebook, and our sources of information. Information is education. Okay, you know that's how we educate masses. We 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 put out stuff, we write, and we film, and we talk. And uh, now everybody now in 2020 has a voice. Everybody can say anything they want, and they can have an audience. The problem is you know, that the main sources of information now, okay, what people spend time, the most time on, are Facebook and YouTube, okay? So there's no filter on Facebook and YouTube for the quality of information that is published, hmm. okay? I myself have stopped reading any type of news on Facebook and any type of messages that people send from, from unknown sources. Now, my diet, my information diet like you know information is 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 nutri nutrition for my my brain so my source i feed my brain information that has comes from the purest you know sources of quality i don't i only digest good quality information i don't you know i don't eat bad stuff it's the same thing for my brain so i you know i read the new york times I read uh, La Presse, I read my local journal, I watch uh, RDI, Réseau des Informations at uh, Radio Canada, and uh, that's it, you know. I, I don't watch the news on YouTube about the latest video on what's going on in the world because, you know, I, I, I don't, I value the quality of information that I, that I expose my brain to. That's a big problem in 2020, because most people, most people, eat eat dirt. You know, when when it comes to information, it's it's not even McDonald's. You know, when 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 you're when somebody sends me a, a, an article, you know that when I click on it before being able to read the articles, you know there's an advertising for bras, swimming suits, casinos. You know. All that stuff, you no, know, 
why do I bother reading that? You know, it's most likely false false advertising, false information. So that's one of the that's one of the problem in our in our society, and that's you know that's why you know the anti-vax movement is still alive because people they'll 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 read information that they that confirms their own biases and um, they won't there's no culture of you know good quality information and we don't want to pay for it you know we just want everything to be free okay good journalism and good information costs something and i'm 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 presently paying for my membership to new york times i'm uh, free uh, i'm giving a monthly uh, donations to La Presse and and uh, Journal Le Droit, my local newspaper, because I want these sources of information, you know, to survive and thrive because they're important. I don't want to be th- these sources of information to to die and then rely only on YouTube to 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 feed my brain. Yeah, I, I, I listened to a couple of journalists saying that investigate, like uh, journalism that investigate things is the most costly journalism, but it's the most important in our dem- democratic society. But right now, to do an investigation, it takes weeks, months. And then you write one piece of 10 pages, for example, if you uncover a story. And they said that this kind of journalism, which is the most important, is basically going down the gutter because everybody's about clicks and free and you're absolutely right. It's a very sad state of affairs. So our brain is suffering from uh, outrage metrics of Facebook. Click, 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 click. Yeah. When I understood that, like uh, maybe two, three years ago, it really hit me. I heard that term outrage metrics. And I goes like, what the hell is this outrage metrics? I was just basically studying the core kind of capacity of every human being to stay on a platform and clicking away. So, so basically, you're just feeding me information for me to stay there, right? So it's like a, like a drug. <laughs> so the first time when you realize it, okay, so it's like a drug. It really functions the same way, uh, dopamine receptors and stuff like that. And, but it's all, when you think about the activity itself, you are head down, staring at a screen, and you're doing nothing. And also, I saw it on the business side, the amount of targeting I could do, like it was growing. So my, my doubts about uh, the, the, the social, I call it networks, like Facebook and all that stuff, and the way I could target people to put my business ads on it, because I, I was running a dance school, the more I, it became granular, the more I was like, how the hell did they know this information? It's like I had the first time it hit me, it was uh, I could have the race of the person, which is the weirdest thing. Like I, like there was like Asians. I was like, what is this? You know, it was very confu- controversial at the beginning. And the second one, it was like expecting parents. The first time like ever, it just bothered me to see it because like, well, expecting parents, how the hell did they know that? Like, how do they figure out? Nobody writes, I'm an expecting parent. But that was like about five years ago when it started to hit me. And I was thinking, oh my God, this is pollution. So I started this year, just before COVID, I rolled back all my ads. I went from spending $500 a month of ads to $50. 
And I, I really wanted to know if that would affect my bottom line. And the end, short answer, because the test wasn't long enough, is no, no, no effect on my bottom line. So I was like, okay, okay, I just ran the test for about three to six months. It's not fair. I wanted to go a year without putting a lot of ads, but continue to make quality content. And I was wondering if my quality content would be enough to give me leverage. And then COVID happened. <laughs> <laughs> but now you'll have to move your business online. Oh, yeah, 100%. You don't have to, to stop doing anything. You, you, you know, you were thinking, I'm pretty sure you, were, you had that idea at some point in the last few years. Yeah. Do I move my lessons online? Yeah. Okay. So, you know, that's what will happen. Uh, anything that is teachable, coachable, 100%. instructable will move online. And if you want to, you know, keep doing business, you'll, you'll, people will love to have in person. Uh, there will always be a niche for that, for, for these services once the pandemic is done. But the online business of education, and when I say education, I mean, you know, school and training and, and anything you can train of. Well, you, we got a kickstart from COVID. Yeah. It, it's all moving. It was moving online at a snail's pace. And now it just got, you know, uh, energized. 100%. So, how do you think, how do you think, what's your to take uh, with all the data that you have? How do you think society, in what way actually, it's going to start trying to go back to normal? How does it happen? In what timeline do you think? I don't know. I'm not sure uh, because when I was thinking about these things uh, a few weeks ago, now my mind has changed a few weeks later and our, our ideas change constantly. Our prediction changed constantly. You know, when I was thinking about the stock market and uh, the pandemic and healthcare, uh, you know, I didn't expect that. Uh, I expected a market crash and a healthcare you know, our healthcare system would stumble, but I didn't expect the widespread economic consequences. I did not expect that your business would close, that my restaurant, my friend's restaurant would close, that my, you know, everything would close. I didn't expect that. So, you know, and then, oh yes, if we want to stop that, we have to stay home and then, you know, let's close everything. But, you know, there are things that we can't, are, are difficult to predict because this is a completely new uh, new challenge for our society and we've never seen this. So um, that's maybe why uh, financial analysts have not been able to predict uh, the crash and um, because they, they, they're relying they, they, they're relying their prediction on the history and their experiences and they you, you become when you have so much experiences, you, your 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 vision starts to to narrow, mm. and uh, I'm not an expert. I'm not a financial analyst. I'm just, but I, I I had an insight because I'm a doctor and I understood healthcare, and I I was able to see how the pandemic would become the main uh, sources source of emotion throughout the world, and it how it would drag the stock market down. I think that so, the, the, uh, the the thing that I that I mean my my concern is that not only there's there's going to be a different reopening probably it's going to be incremental with businesses is the the mm -hmm. the protect the, the what should I say this the particular thing about 
dancing salsa. And I think it, because I have also a friend that has a, a jujitsu school, he's got in the same kind of situation. We are doing a sport or an art that involves extreme close proximity. Therefore, we are the sport and the art that is most conducive to COVID. So if we want to spread, if a virus had to choose somebody in the society, if I was the virus, I would pick these two clients, the salsa dancer and the jujitsu practitioner. But we will be, in my headspace right now, the last to open because of yep. these two things, right? If we were mm -hmm. able to do classes two meters away, that's not going to happen because the, the, it's like the social aspect of our art is like extremely time stand because we we're like at two centimeters away from each other. And that concerns me because whenever there's a plan to reopen and I, and I heard different things like uh, six months, uh, you know, at the end of the year, maybe, maybe towards next year, I'm following a bit the school schedule. That's just the mandate that I gave myself, whatever the school's going to decide, that's going to be my starting point. If the schools mm -hmm. are closed, I'm closed. If the schools are open, we will see. It's going to green light some ideas in my head. I have an idea, but I'm not sure if that's going to go that way. I think that it's going to start virtual and people are going to be in small uh, cells. Like they're going to practice maybe, so they start going to be couples and then maybe couples and a couple of friends. But I have a hard time picturing Okay, if they go, all right, so everybody, we're okay, we're, the virus doesn't exist anymore, or there's just zero or 10 cases, we reopen everything, then I open my school and everybody comes running. I just don't see it. I don't know. Do you see it? No. I'm just thinking, people are, some people <coughs> told me, are people going to be in so much isolation that they, they will want that? And I, I, I'm not buying it. <laughs> I'm like, no. I'm not sure about that. Especially what you said, when people we know start to get sick, it's going to bring it even more home. And maybe it's going to change the behavior of the whole society towards activities like this. That's my worst case scenario. I don't know what you're feeling. Yes, but eventually the virus will die out and people will become immune. And um, uh, if, if there's ever another pandemic, we'll be much more prepared. Mm. And, and, and I trust that we are social animal driven by needs and emotions and people want and need closeness you can't you you know uh, try raising your kid on facetime or or or, or leave, leave leave for two weeks your house and just see what happens to your relationship with your with your daughter and uh, and your wife okay it's, it's, we need closeness. We need to touch, touching and emotion. And so I don't think, I, 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 don't, I don't think that this need will go away. It, it won't go away, but don't you find that that's the particular aspect? Like, how should you say this? This is the most frustrating aspect of that virus is the takeaway of that need. It's, it's the, like people that are, like I know people that are alone. Like I, I can vent, you know, I, I, we can FaceTime. I have my wife, I have my children right now. It's for me, it's a lifesaver. If I didn't have these, these people around me, if I was really alone for months, first of all, it's not a good idea to leave me alone. <laughs> no. I will spiral down. It would be, no, I think it would be really hard for me to, to, to remain morally sane. 
I'm I'm not I'm not a I have like I, I feel fragile. You sometimes. understand your vulnerabilities big time, big mm-hmm. time. Like if I didn't have people, I don't know. And and I really feel for for grandmothers that are alone. That man, that's that's how you you can. I'm I'm lost of words. It's just that 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 part is just sometimes people compared it at the beginning to the uh, you know we had like the ice crisis where we had like. Uh, this uh, 1998 where everything stops. We had no electricity for three weeks and we had that community. Everybody mm-hmm. went together and it was brilliant. It had like this community feeling that, and, and we can't have that right now. And on top of it, what I kind of remembered how when we got back electricity, how fast we went back to our old ways. It was instantaneous. And I wonder yeah. if with that disease, if, if that's going to be the case. Well, we went to our old ways because it didn't hurt that much. <laughs> I don't know what I'm laughing. You know, when, when grandmother dies, well, it's difficult to say how we'll react. Mm. But I think the basic human needs for closeness won't go away, and there'll be a lot of there will be a lot of people who will 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 you, you'll lose a lot of students, okay, um, but some will come back, and there's there'll, there'll be a period of transition where you know. People will recover from all that suffering and all that fear, hmm. but basic human physiology, uh, basic human fundamentals is is we are social animal and we are we live we need people to stay mentally healthy. So I'm more afraid, honestly, I'm more afraid of the uh, psychological suffering that comes with the pandemic than. The pandemic itself. I mean, you've got a guy who just ran over, almost probably killed another guy at Walmart just for because a guy was trying to do his job. You know, that's 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 bad. You know, you have you have people. You know, there's there's probably a lot of domestic conflicts and a lot of stress that's building up in. Uh, in houses and families in, in in our in our province, so I'm worried about this. But as you said, you know, when when the pandemic will 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 be done, there'll be a transition. But this need will still be there, unfulfilled for many months. And mm-hmm. I think people will gather again and celebrate. I know I'm planning a big big party, inviting all my friends when uh, the pandemic is done and we can gather again. I'm inviting you here. And we're having a big barbecue, and we're can all you, dancing. Can, can you and imagine? And, but that's what I was thinking. It goes, how much a hug from a friend's gonna feel like? Like we're gonna yeah. hug the shit out of each other. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna hug like if it, it like we we lost the hugs for years. Like we, it's just crazy. The the, the kind of how should I say the worry about proximity right now that we have with humans? We're like dodging yeah. people. You're like, it's, it's, it's scary. It's because we're, it's the first time in our lives. We never were challenged this way ever, ever. The more I think of it, uh, Elias, I'm not worried about your business. The example I'll give you is like, I'm not seeing my girlfriend for 14 days. Okay. Because I've worked at the clinic and everything and I don't want to um, kiss her or anything. But when I see her in 14 days, she'll get it. Yeah. <laughs> big wet kiss ah. <laughs> so you know your 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 students who have not danced for for many months 
they'll come back running to you because they, they'll like dancing and they'll be bored out of their mind. I'll be I'll be wearing a wetsuit. There's wet suit. so much you can do. Just a wetsuit. Yeah. Just make sure we. Get... <laughs> hey, listen. So this, yeah. No, I I just wanted to to uh, I know we talked about some uh, a, a very very uh, heavy subject. I wanted to to uh, to wrap it up with something lighter, if you don't mind. Okay. You know, yeah. I have some rapid fire questions. So here how how it goes. Just so people can get to know you better. You just okay. answer whatever comes in mind. Okay, I have about ten yeah. of them. Are you ready? How yeah. you ready in the left corner from Gatineau, Quebec, weighing, I don't know how many pounds, Marte Famzim. Here we go, rapid fire questions. So what excites you? Mountain bike. What is your favorite curse word? Tabernacle. What other profession would you like to attempt? Cook. What you're not very good at? What I'm not good at. Anything not medicine. <laughs> who's, who's your role model and why? My father. Because uh, he gave me the one big quality that uh, helped me get here is uh, perseverance. What you have been most satisfied in your life? When, sorry, when have you been most satisfied in your life? Now. What things do you not like to do? Um, what things do I not like to do? Clean up my house. What is your superpower? <laughs> uh, my reason. What's something people seem to misunderstand about you? They don't know, they don't realize how crazy I am. Okay, so last one. <laughs> If you could turn back time and talk to your 18-year-old self, what would you tell him? My 18-year-old self, be more patient. And uh, so to finish this off, what do you think about the toilet paper situation? <laughs> what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> well, Well, thanks to you, I have a bidet now. <laughs> That's what I think. I am toilet paper independent. But you know, thanks to to you, Elias, you convinced me. Listen, uh, there's two two things about that that uh, that water gun on a toilet. Call it the bidet. Um, when I was living in Taiwan, the first time I was struck that that was the norm. Like in Thailand, it was the same thing. Everybody has a douche on on a. The beginning was like, hey, you're gonna wash my butt with that. I was like, and then you 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 get to understand that it's much cleaner to do it that way than to wipe your butt with your paper, the, the toilet paper. And when I came back here, I couldn't do it anymore. Like I didn't feel it's not happening. Let's put a douche. And then I said to my wife, I'm gonna put one upstairs. I was putting one downstairs. She's like looking at me like a weirdo. I said, don't worry about it. She's like, I'll put it whatever. I goes, don't put it in the middle toilet because people think we're gonna be weird. It's like. Nobody's gonna think it's gonna be weird. It's gonna be funny. It's like I know. And when I put it in, you can discuss shit now with people <laughs> when they come in your house. Ah, oh, yes. Let's common denominator. But here's the funniest story I like to tell people. I go, I go, 
Okay, so because I my head doesn't understand why do you want to wipe your ass for for ten times with paper, right? So I, I I go and I say, you know, when you walk in the street, you know, and you have boots, right? He goes, yeah, 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 and you step in shit like dog shit, and you have shit in your boots, you know. Do you take Kleenexes to wipe it off? Like, what do you do? I was like, take a hose. Well, that's what I do with my ass. <laughs> you know what? I have the same. I had the same discussion with somebody uh, today. I'm like, okay, now go in my in my uh, backyard. I have a dog. Okay, pick up shit with your hand. Okay, pick up shit. And then what? What, what, what will you do? Okay, do you want paper towels? And then we'll eat. I'll give you paper towels. Okay. And then we'll eat. Okay. Or do you want to wash with water? So, you know, yeah, everybody will wash with water. Well, I think we should treat our asses the same thing we treat our hands. Yeah. So uh, you, you, you got me there. You got me at, at this. I, I, I go, I go when somebody was arguing with me, let's say I told them if, if I gave the choice to somebody to eat a salad, out of my ass and out of your ass. Trust me, they'll choose mine because mine is <laughs> mm, mm, sparkly clean. <laughs> but that guy over there, mm, not too sure about that guy. He's used toilet paper. <laughs> oh, and, and also, let, let me just say, there's no irritation, right? You never get irritated. There's no problem. You don't have to waste trees. You don't have to wipe forever. You know that 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 kind of a shit that never you can never wipe like it, ten times and you're still on there. No problem. So I was thinking, okay, so Taiwan they did that because they don't have access to a lot of trees. For them, paper is very precious. And when I was asking, like, let's say a loose leaf to a because I was teaching English. Can you believe this? Teaching English mm -hmm. and. I was asking a paper, just say, hey, can you give me just a piece of paper? They will hold their paper and they'll look at me like, what are you going to do with the paper? Because just give me a paper. I'm just going to write something. And she goes, I just have 20 of them. And I go, okay. <laughs> so they hit me the first time their relationship to paper is very different over there than here. Here we're like throwing stuff away at paper, just right at the corner. You just chuck it in the recycling bin. Down there, they don't fuck around with paper. So it's normal for them not to wipe their asses with the paper and and that's it you know that's a situation mm -hmm. but i enjoyed it i discovered it and i brought it back to quebec and then i I, I, I have a question go yeah do you have the warm version or the cold no version? i don't have the warm <laughs> version i don't have do you have the warm because i installed the no no i installed the cold one because i just wanted to try but i think upstairs near my bedroom I'll install the warm water version. But do you want? Do you want do you, are you going to install the, the the Toto one with like the the the, the Japanese one? Is this the water uh, gun, or sure. it's like I, it's like the bowl? Like it, no, no. I just I just I just want I just want a warm one so that you know you you feel feels warm. I'll tell you something. You know, the because one it's just, it, honestly, I just I just installed it today, and it's kind of cold. It's well, kind of especially an aggression on my. Especially if it's in the basement, because the water doesn't yeah. travel that much. It comes directly from the ground. So when it's minus 20 outside, your asshole goes. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there, you, there you've learned something, eh? It's your ass being the thermometer for your, for your house water.
You know, this is what is wonderful. We went from an extremely important subject to another extremely important subject, but that has less impact in our lives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Idiot, for your wonderful influence on Thank my you. life. Thank you very much. Listen, if I can bring something to you to support you in your endeavors, I'm always here. Okay. And, 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 and of course, if you're asked, asked thanks me, then it's even better. I'll give you some uh, more cold reviews um, <laughs> next month because <laughs> I got the cold version. And when I install the warm version, I'll, I'll give you warm reviews. All righty. So listen, let, let's wrap okay. this up. I just want to finish with, first of all, to thank you to, for doing this. Um, I, I wanted to have you on the podcast for, for quite a while now. And I know that uh, you're busy with tons of things. And I want to also finish with uh, saluting uh, your courage. I think uh, this is something uh, that I admire and I want to wish you the best of luck. And I, and I know that with people like you that, that, that decide, you know, you could have coasted uh, your retirement and just do something else and you decided to go back. It's extremely commendable. And uh, I, I have nothing but uh, appreciation and admiration for that action. Thanks, Elias. All right. So I salute you, my friend. Take care. Have a good one. So that was my friend, right. Zim, guys. Take care. See you on the next podcast. Bye.